fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, Bums uh, Find a Way, covering every film in the Jurassic Park series. We will fully spoil today's film, Jurassic World, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, uh, especially well today, because we are honored to have a special guest on the podcast. Please welcome Jason Thomas. Hey, everybody. It's me. Oh, thank you. Here in person. Thanks for being here, Jason. I feel especially qualified to talk about this movie because I just watched it 30 minutes ago. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Wait, had you not seen it before? I saw it when it came out, and so now I've rewatched it. Okay. It's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. (laughs) That was basically me, too. Okay, Jason, thank you for being here. Tell us about your history with the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, Did you grow up watching them? Are you into them? What's the story? Probably as much as the average person, you know, where I've seen them. I'm not like a super fan, although I've increasingly gained a appreciation for the original over time. Hmm. The sequels I'm not as familiar with. I think that Emmett and I watched Jurassic Park 3 when I visited him one time years ago. Uh, and we happen to start watching it when they're like reaching to the giant steamy pile of, of uh, dino feces, which was uh-huh. a good, you know, encapsulation of how that movie was, from what I recall. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen all of them at this point. Um, but Jurassic Park is the one that I'll uh, I'll continue to uh, support. From its emotional mm. standpoint of storytelling, and uh, also just from its film history standpoint of furthering digital filmmaking in a pretty huge way. Uh, not shocking at all to me that someone would see Emma and he would force them to watch Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> it was on. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about Jurassic World, which came out in 2015. 14 year gap between the last one and this one. Uh, and you said you saw this in theaters when it came out. I believe so. Yeah. Emmett, what about you? What's your history with this one in particular? I'm pretty sure I saw this one in theaters, but before we can talk about Jurassic world, we need to talk about a movie that came out a month before Jurassic world. We need to talk about fury road because <laughs> Mad Max. because Mad Max okay. Fury Road comes out in May of 2015 and it is the legacy sequel reboot masterpiece adrenaline blockbuster of the summer that nobody even knew they needed and then this movie came out a month later and uh, was not that that thing for but Jurassic still made Park. considerably more money but did did it really? Oh, that's so sad. Oh yeah, no, it was like the sixth most grossing film of all time. This film was huge. I mean, but Mad Max is a certified banger. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, well, I just remember watching this after that that summer and being like less thrilled, and then that being the only time I'd ever seen it until this most recent rewatch. I feel like the other 2015 movie that this is kind of in the shadow of is 
Force Awakens. Oh. Not necessarily in terms of quality, but that that like sets the tone six months after this for what all of this type of movie is going to be going yeah. forward, you know? Mm. So I feel like in that sense, this is kind of interesting like a look at one before they had figured out the formula of like, you got to bring some of the old cast back and have a new cast that interacts with them. And like, I feel like everything after is in that set formula. And this is before that. That's really interesting take too. Given the trailers for the new movie, it looks like uh, Wade's super excited for that. He's like, Ooh, Jeff Goldblum signed me up. This, <laughs> this format of re- returning characters. <laughs> I would rather watch a movie with Jeff Goldblum in it than it's one true. without him in it. It's true. Um, okay, so I saw this movie in theaters. I think the same as everyone else. Saw it in theaters and then hadn't re-watched it at all until this new one came out. I feel like I remembered it fairly well. Did you own this movie on DVD and not re-watch it? Because I feel like I owned this no. movie on DVD and didn't ever watch it until somebody bought it for me. And I was like, no, I'm still not going to watch this ever until I have to for the podcast. No, I think, Emmett, you got me Mad Max Fury Road on DVD, which I believe was the last DVD I ever got. Whoa. Um, because that was like right at the end of getting all the physical media. Huh. <laughs> that was the black and chrome edition, too. Mm hmm. Oh, really? Where's our black and white edition of Jurassic World? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Release the black and white gut. It'll be so much better. (laughs) Other Jurassic Park movie tie-in information that I just want to drop on everybody. Last night, I watched Kimmy, uh, written by the Jurassic Park writer David Kep, and it was awesome. That's all. I think Wade also saw it recently, and it was because of Wade's review that I like wanted to watch it, so... Thank you, Wade. Oh, no, I really liked it. Very good. And a kind of similar ending to Jurassic Park. Another ending that involves crawling through the ceiling in order to escape the bad guys. Have you seen that uh, yet, Jason? I don't think I have. It's got Zoe Kravitz as an agoraphobic coder who's solving a crime. And it's super scary. Kimmy. I don't think I heard of that one. Okay, well, let's get into it on Jurassic World. Flop or bop? I'm going to start with you, Jason. Would you say Jurassic World is a flop or a bop? Since this is only a 50-50 split here, I I do have to err on the positive side. So I'm going to give it a bop. Cool. Emmett, flop or bop to Jurassic World? This movie is a flop. Despite what my mother says I would have said as a child about this movie. She we watched it together and she kept saying, Emmett, you would have hmm. loved this. You would have been amazed by this as a kid. And maybe I would have. But watching it like both when I was like, I think like 19 or something, and now, just no, I don't like it. There's not it's not good. What is this movie about? Flop. <laughs> Wait, what do you think? Flop or Bob? I think a flop as well. I'm sad to say. The first movie in this series that I've full on given the flop to. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that may be shocking to hear, but I have a lot of thoughts about this. But it's I feel like it's very overstuffed. Uh like there is so much weird stuff going on. I feel like when I saw it in theaters, I liked it all right. I definitely didn't love it, but I did like it more than this time. And I kind of really liked the ending. 
And this time watching it, I feel like I was so worn out by the time I got to the ending that it was hard for me to even like <laughs> muster much enthusiasm. I was a little bit reversed. I was more lenient this time because I knew what to expect. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked the first 20 minutes, like everything before we meet Owen and they introduce like the Raptor military plot and everything. I was like, they do a good job of setting up the family. I love seeing the park. Is this movie going to be actually good? And then it just kept going and going and going. The, the Raptor Soldier plot was one of its weaker points. I just watched Daredevil, so I'm seeing like Vincent D'Onofrio here with like hair. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Here's this guy, and he's just this like totally absurd military dude. That, yeah. that subplot I could have done without. And none of them are artfully related to each other. There's something about the like the military using the dinosaurs. That's kind of interesting. That's like a thought that could be cool, but it has, it's just its own. It's like this plot is not a web. It's an octopus. It just like shoots off in a bunch of different directions and never like comes back together on itself. You, I don't feel like you ever know what's important in this movie. Yeah. Even like which set of characters are important. You don't necessarily know because we start with the family. We'll come back to them, but then they'll like disappear for 40 minutes at a time and it'll be like Owen and Claire's movie. But then there's also all this like corporate intrigue with other characters who will pop up and take over the movie for like 15 minute sections. It's just very weird. Yeah, it gets pretty clunky after that point. Like once the park is just completely foobard, uh, it's just every (laughs) every plot for itself, you know? (laughs) Okay, well, what were what were some of those things that you enjoyed more on this watching, Jason? I kind of I agree with you. The opening was strong enough. You know, the the filmmaking was actually like coherent, which we have to give it credit for that. You know, like mm-hmm. you're not just totally cheap green screens, like stuff not really cutting well together. So most of the movie's weak points were like in the just writing, I guess, of characters, and not necessarily like in the cinematography angle of it. The production design was pretty lit. Yeah. Every time I'm thinking about something that I like just leads me to something that I don't like, which is like, <laughs> you know, they made these dinosaurs and they just decided that, you know what these guys do? They just ragdoll themselves into surfaces, glass, cars, you know, they don't, they're not just like normal animals. It's like they're flying peacefully in the aviary, but the aviary gets burst open. And they're like, oh, man, now we're just on coke. We're just going to rail into the civilians walking down below just for the sake of the, uh, you know, catastrophe. So that was something. <laughs> uh, what did I, I like, though? Like... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, uh, right? <laughs> Come on, guys. Dino bombs. Wow. Uh, help me out here. Okay, yeah, let's start with this. Emmett, what's something that you liked about this movie? Okay, okay, things that I like about this movie. Honestly, I do think the Indominus Rex is cool. I think mm. a genetically modified dinosaur is, like, kind of a cool idea. I think, like, all of the meta-commentary about it is so bad. But if they were just, like, own the fact that that's what they were doing and not have to talk about it, Jurassic Park is not Scream. And it will never be Scream. Scream gets to make fun of itself, and it works. Jurassic Park trying to make fun of itself, it's like, oh, yeah, this is bad. You're right. This is just dumb and bad. I don't ever laugh. I'm just, like, cringing at its own horrible self-knowledge. But 
I do like the I said I do, things you liked. Things you like about the movie. <laughs> I do like the Indominus Rex itself. I think it's a scary, cool monster. I think it's cool that it's a chameleon. I think it's cool that it's smart. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know, I think it's awesome that it's got five scary looking it claws. I like the part where the kids walk through the old part of Jurassic Park. And I do think this mm-hmm. is an interesting point to make about this is that Jurassic Park has always been obsessed with nostalgia about Jurassic Park. That has been the vibe of the movies since the end of the first movie. That is not like some new thing that they're introducing there. And that does nostalgia for the park as an element of the film is in itself a callback to the previous films. And that's really cool. And I like all of that bit pretty well. And I do think that ball thing that they zoom around in is pretty neat. And that sequence where they get attacked, I like. Wade, how about you? Things that you like about this movie? Okay, something I like and something that I think more blockbusters would do well of is just having a bunch of comedians in like the bit roles. Mm. The fact that sort of all of like the three line roles in this movie are played by comedian actors, I think just makes it easier to watch. Like, obviously, I love Jake Johnson and Lauren Lapkus and their little control room stuff. That's probably like the most fun stuff of the movie. But like all of the weird operators of the park and everyone else who's like in the background, just sort of selling their moments with comedy, I think is like makes it a lot more bearable. And I feel like every movie should give its thankless roles to people who will do something funny with it. I like the, I don't know. I'm also struggling to think of things that I like about this movie without getting into immediately things that i don't like about this movie not so easy is it oh i love the shot of claire at the end when she's opening up the tank to let the t-rex out and it's just her and the flare and the door opening i think that's such a cool shot i've always loved that it points to bryce for running around and heals the entire movie the filmmakers <laughs> really did her dirty on that Oh, there's yeah. no like I was joking with the guys were watching. And I was like, you know, there's some dead bodies around. There's no shame in grabbing someone's pair of shoes because you're <laughs> yeah. hurting at this point. <laughs> you must be. Yeah, for real. I feel like they do her dirty in a lot of ways, but they continually <laughs> they continually make her out to be the dumbest ass person who has ever lived. How did she get this job if she is so incompetent as this movie tries to make her out to be? yeah some some scenes it plays well but then other scenes it's like they're trying just to make her so like abrasive and not personal that they kind of forget that she also needs to be like a business magnate type person yeah yeah one of the ones that sticks out most to me is when she was starting to yell for the boys when you know the dinosaur was out hunting them he had to yeah. like explain to her she's like you're not uh, i'm not one of your animals and it's like she wouldn't say that but and also she also wouldn't scream. She would know better than to scream in the woods in Jurassic Park too. She's yeah. not some newbie to the park either. Like, I don't know. That's just like a bunch of dumb stuff. I was empathizing her with her at the beginning because like her whole family is just like just these deeply ungrateful people, and she's like running this epic business, and they're just like yeah. we thought we would have some family time. I mean, these VIP tickets are cool and whatnot, but like, if you're not there with us, this is like, this is crap, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> disavowing you as my family member. It's like, whoa. And, you know, and what's her name? Like, Judy Greer is just like sobbing over the phone <laughs> multiple times. 
just guilt tripping her for being a successful businesswoman. Oh my God. And the scene where she's like, you need to have kids or she's like, I don't know if I'm going to have kids. And Judy Greer is like, when you have kids, it's worth it. And then she's like pumped out these two steamy piles of just human (laughs) garbage. I like the littler. The littler kid is nice. The littler kid is nice. That teenager is a tool. Uh He is... <laughs> and Ansel Elgort wannabe. Yeah, he's just like super horny. He's yeah. like until he's faced with the prospect of death, he's just absolutely abhorrent to everybody <laughs> around him. Having just substituted for a middle school science teacher and seen kids of that age recently, I can attest it's true. Until faced with the prospect of death, they are as absolutely <laughs> abhorrent. <laughs> I have to give the movie credit for that, though. You know, when you when you are judging a movie based on like the performances in it and just because you don't like them just character wise, that's actually a compliment to the movie, in my opinion. Well, that's true. These characters are mostly wrong for the actors, though, or at least not taking advantage of the actors strengths who are playing them. Mm. I feel like that's true of most things with this movie. Like, I do think this movie looks pretty good, as Jason was saying. Yeah. It's definitely way better directed than Jurassic Park 3. The shots, the camera, the design of it all. I think there are two separate good pitches for a movie here. Like, I would love to see a movie about a functioning Jurassic Park where something goes wrong and you've got everyone trapped inside. And I also think the a movie about like a big scary dinosaur they made that is loose and they need to find it and kill it. Like those are two very different plots than we've seen before. And I think either of them could be good, but it just sort of takes it in such a weird direction that it doesn't really make use of it. What are you thinking with the uh the actors that were not properly utilized? First of all, Bryce Dallas Howard, who I think is very lovely playing like this cold, unfeeling <laughs> corporate woman is weird the same with vincent d'onofrio who we know is like such a charming cool character and he's playing like business hobo (laughs) or omar sai who's like chris pratt's friend who gets nothing to do in this movie yeah but look i mean the biggest one and the thing i think we just need to talk about is that we need to talk about chris pratt who I feel like is very poorly used in this movie. And his character, like, just sucks. Yeah, this movie took the wrong idea from Guardians of the Galaxy. They were like, oh, Chris Pratt can do action. And then they were like, well, Mm -hmm. let's put him in an action movie where he is never funny, where all he does is action, and he is a cool guy. My mom watching this was like, he looks like Andy playing Han Solo. Andy from Parks and Rec, like uh-huh. acting like he was Han Solo or something, because it doesn't it doesn't come across as real or grounded in any sense. I was just about to use Harrison Ford as a comparison, yeah, because yeah. the like, Harrison Ford has this this gravitas with his performance and just like you know you can tell like he's this gritty carpenter guy works with his hands, you know, that's what he did before. Whereas Chris Pratt, when he's just playing it straight, he just doesn't have that same like impending sort of presence of yeah. character it feels like there's nothing there when you just i mean this is a character kind of with nothing there but like then why would you get chris pratt to play that part i mean even sam neil like in sam neil's younger days could have played this part the original doctor mm-hmm. like as at his age when he played the original dr grant he could have played that part convincingly 
he is yeah there's something off about chris pratt in that role especially because it's so unfunny if he was a funnier guy like if he was more chaotic and more of a like devil may care and less of like so serious about the job and he was more of like the chaotic badass rather than the lawful badass it would play more to pratt's strengths which is like exactly what star lord does I don't know why they didn't go that same route. Just put Star-Lord on a motorcycle in a cool uh, like vest and it would have been, it probably would have all of the, I don't think you even have to change the script that much. You just have to throw in a couple of jokes and uh, tell him to play it more for laughs than straight. I don't know. It would have been nice to see just a, that larger range of like, cause he was like this ex Marine guy who started working for them. So if he had, uh, he had like a, a pretty narrow range of this movie, but if he had, more serious moments and more funny moments like together, just depending on, on what the scene mm-hmm. called for, that could have been a, a more interesting way to, to have that character work. Yeah. I feel like he has the worst parts of both Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum in the originals. Like he's got the pessimism of Goldblum without the comedy. Uh-huh. And then he's got like the calmness of Sam Neill without like the caring arc that Sam Neill goes for. And like, or like the gravity, like Jason said about like uh, Harrison Ford, like having that. How about uh, BD Wong, one of the only returning, if not the only returning cast member of the original movies, just becoming this completely morally bankrupt scientist <laughs> man from his young upstart days in the Jurassic Park lab. <laughs> So not really kind of spoilers, not really spoilers for the next movie. That is sequel setup. And that's the only sequel setup in the whole movie. And it's done like in that Mm. tiny little scene that he only, I think that's, he's only in the movie for two scenes and that's one of them. Yeah. I had completely forgotten about that little twist. And when it happened, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but mostly just weird. I think he's pretty good. I think he looks incredible for it being so far past the first one. But it is, it's just like, this is the guy who's back from the first one, the scientist who was in two minutes of that movie. Yeah, it's a a little bit of like trivia more than an actual important (laughs) plot point, essentially. I liked his performance, though. I thought that he did a pretty decent job just, uh, you know, once once he threw ethics out the window, he's like, yeah, well, this is what we're doing here. We're making genetically modified organisms and we like being on top of the food chain, he says, with reckless abandon as people are <laughs> murdered in his park. <laughs> that scene with him and Masrani is one of the best scenes in the movie because it's just like two actors who are actually playing something and have like good stuff to do as opposed to the rest of the movie. I agree. But it's insane. Wouldn't they have evacuated the park? Like, wouldn't they have just called it earlier? I get that this movie is trying to say something, but as you watch people continually get killed, you're like, I don't think this is how it would happen. But also, don't you think this movie could be more of a disaster movie and more about the people trying to escape the park? Like, if we cut to that a little bit more, wouldn't the stakes be more clear? and like see the people trapped yeah. but instead they're all just like milling around and what we're the like the message that we're getting is that like oh people suck if they thought that they were about to get eaten by a velociraptor they'd still be looking at their phones and like we know that but that's not what we want to hear in a freaking movie we want to like be scared for them you know yeah they do kind of conveniently forget about that once they set the stage for the big dino fight scene at the end 
Uh-huh. <laughs> so like the dino's coming down, he's chasing all this, you know, they say at one point the radiation or something like that. They can like heal, feel the body heat of all the oh, people yeah. together. And for some reason, when they're all together in the staging area waiting for the cruise ships to come save them, that's the point when the, you know, Indominus Rex is just kind of wandering around the opening of the park when nothing else is going on. And uh, Chris Pratt and Bryce and, and Fam are just loitering around. That was one of the other things where they had ideas, right? Like it could have been a disaster film, like focused on like trying to mitigate the human casualty side. But they're like, OK, guys, we need a big dino fight. Jurassic Park versus Jurassic World, T-Rex and Dominus Rex. Let's go. And then they got to that point in the script. They're like, okay, how does this happen? They're like, it, okay, it just happens. <laughs> then they just wrote, next scene, <laughs> they fight. We'll figure it out. Emmett, can you explain to me what is up with the companies in this movie? Because if we find out that D'Onofrio is the one working for InGen, so InGen doesn't have the park anymore. Is that right? Okay. Let me try and suss this out because I've not not a clue. But let's let's walk through it together. So, what is the name of the new owner of the park? Masrani. Masrani. Masrani uh-huh. got the park from Engine. He's a rich dude who has his own stuff going on. The park is now in his name. Or he got it from Hammond. Engine is a company that was CEO'd by Ludlow. In the second movie, Ludlow died, and presumably yeah. whoever it like it went on the corporate chain of succession went on, and so there's a separate company uncontrolled by Hammond now that Ludlow controlled it. Hammond's dead. Masrani owns the park now. Engine might be the ones making the dinosaurs and the ones that BD Wong's character works for, and that might be some tie in there because Engine always was the ones. Hmm. Who it it stands for something to do with genetics in gen the G E N is stands for something to do with genetics. They're in this movie depicted to be like a paramilitary operation rather than a genetics engineering operation. So I don't know if they've shifted, if the screenwriters forgot what those characters did because of Lost World, or what was going on. And then Chris Pratt is like with like the park rangers of Jurassic Park or something like the animal or like the zoology, like the animal tamers and animal trainers. Yeah, he was Jurassic like- Park. Okay, I guess that makes sense. I don't really understand how Hammond would have given it to Mesrani and then they get all of InGen's resources, but InGen is still around as like a fringe company. Maybe they bought them. They're like a division, and there was. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was an internal power struggle because the hierarchy was all over the place like who had decision making authority especially after Masrani went up and died uh-huh. but yeah it's, it, I don't know why the uh, Vincent D'Onofrio character would have the authority to just have this backroom deal with B.D. Wong to uh, make his military dinos for his uh, now paramilitary in- <laughs> engine operation that he was <laughs> doing my question for y'all is do either of you even remember if any of this stuff comes back in Jurassic World 2 Fallen Kingdom? <laughs> I remember broad strokes about Fallen Kingdom and I don't think it does. But it <laughs> yeah. might. The raptor comes back. Yes, the raptor, yes, yes, yes. yes. The characters back. come back. And this is what I will say. They hear the criticism of these characters because they are sanded over by the time we get to the next one. What do you mean? All of the weird uncomfortable things in this movie. 
the strange dynamics and prickly sides of these characters uh-huh. are going to be totally gone when we see them again. Wait, for real? Yes, I remember that distinctly. They're like, um, we're not talking about the misogyny anymore. <laughs> these are just <laughs> these are just nice people now. <laughs> wow. That little bit they threw in there. At least they had some sort of history together. But yeah, yeah, at first I saw the the bit where they're making some jokes. And I was just like, oh, man, (laughs) raise sexual harassment in the (laughs) workplace. You know, this is not the time. For real. And they're just like, oh, this is why we only went on one date. And I was like, oh, okay, Yeah, I forgot this. This happened. All right. Whatever. (laughs) At least it didn't go beyond that. I was relieved for that. Yeah. I feel like anytime a modern movie tries to do like old school, like 20s sort of relationship dynamics, it just never works. Yeah, it's like you have to have the right people playing it and ha- actually have them have chemistry together. I don't, not mm. to like totally throw this on a different tangent, but if you guys rewatch National Treasure, talk about someone who tries to deliver those types of lines and just comes across as just the biggest misogynist you've ever seen. Oh, boy, I was like, oh, I, I liked that movie as a kid. My mom loved that movie. And I watched it again. And every single moment, Nicolas Cage is just like dunking on the poor woman there for how <laughs> terrible it is that she's a woman, how inept she is. And it's like, this is not attractive guys. <laughs> So that's the bar <laughs> that we could compare this to. And then Jurassic World by that comparison is beautiful. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Go back Damn. and watch that movie. That's a, that's one to do. Do a new national treasure oh, series, guys. That w- hey, we could do that for Remember the Name. Nicholas MF Cage. Remember the name. I don't know if I could bear to reopen the Book of Secrets. <laughs> My cousin Brent walked out of the theater for Book of Secrets with me. And he said... The next movie, they're going to have to exhume the body of Christ to top that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like whenever modern movies try and do this, like he's just pushy all the time and she's like telling him no for 90 minutes and then they like relent in the end. Like I get that that's what was going on in sort of those old school Hollywood movies that we idolize sometimes, but I feel like it just comes off as like creepy today. Yeah. If you're going to do it, they have to have a lot more obvious chemistry than these two do. Yeah. Yes. And it also has to be witty and charming dialogue. Like it has to crackle both between the actors and in the language itself. I think to like, to excuse that kind of dynamic. I think what helps is if you give them the opportunity to have it both ways, if it's just coming from one character at the other and it's meant to play Mm -hmm. off as endearing, you can easily just not interpret it correctly. Because, you know, Bryce doesn't really have an opportunity in this to tease Chris Pratt in any way. Yeah. The, what she does to impress him towards the end is, like, she, you know, hits the pterodactyl whatever mm. uh, monstrosity off him and poo-poo, you know, shoots it dead. And then he's like, oh, that was hot. And then just kisses her right there, you know, because, <laughs> so you know, that's what you got to do in the moment. So apparently that was his love language. <laughs> And her nephews watch that. Also think it's hot. No, but they just see (laughs) her kill the dinos and him be there. And then they run up and they're like, oh, he's so cool. Right. Yeah. Like they give (laughs) her so weird that one moment. I tell you, they're like, hey, can I can we stay with you? And she's like, oh, I'm never leaving you. And they're like, no, we meant with him. But it's like you just gave her the uh, badass moment, you know? Yeah. 
not even a single second of victory lap for her before they moved on and then remembered uh-huh. like, oh yeah, you abandoned us, even though it's not your fault. You're running a huge company and it's obviously crashing and burning right now. Yeah, it's their parents who about. literally abandoned them too. So like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this movie is obsessed with telling us how cool Chris Pratt is without really showing it very well. But there are so many lines of people being like, like your boyfriend's a badass or like, he's the best Raptor trainer we have. Like everyone is always talking about it. The Scientologists must have really like paid the movie a bunch of money to get Chris Pratt that much good coverage in it. Scientologists. What are you talking about? Is it the Scientologists? Or some other wackadoodle. He's like some sort of wackadoodle religion out there. It's one of those West Coast religions. Chris? Yeah. No, he's not. <laughs> not that I know of. He's not Tom Cruise in it out here, you know. Uh, no, okay. he's just a very outspoken Christian. Oh, okay, okay. That's the thing. That he's always talking about at award shows and stuff. And yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because it doesn't take much to be out there in, in Hollywood. You say it only a handful <laughs> of times, and then you're marked as that forever. That's and then you, sort of, then you sort of metastasize into a Clint Eastwood type character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is in sort of this like incredible 12 months he has of like breaking out as a movie star. Because it's like in a 12 month period, he does Lego movie, Guardians of the Galaxy and this. Whoa. All of which he's the lead and they all do great. And I feel like they all sort of set the template for his career going forward. Because like now he does a lot of animated stuff which is normally good. I think he's really good in Onward, but that's mm-hmm. like seems to be what he's focusing on a lot. He does the Marvel stuff, which he's good in. And then I think there's other movies like Jurassic World that try and play him straight. And it's like always passengers. I don't think it's good for him. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm trying. What even was the one that came out last summer? The Tomorrow War was another one where he is just military man, no personality. I skipped over that one entirely forgot that that even happened i did give him some credit being in this movie just being like hey you know what i've just arbitrarily decided like i like chris pratt well enough i'll accept him in this role so that was one of those things i was just being you know more more lenient on in this watching Mm. although admitting all the uh faults here that you guys have brought up for sure what about all the meta stuff i mean that is like a huge part of this movie is it's many layers on layers of commentary about itself I mean, I remember you having a lot of thoughts about this, even the first time you saw it. I just feel like it's too painfully aware that it's not Jurassic Park, but it doesn't engage with that at all. It just is there to be like, oh, this is this feels bad. And then here's some more dinosaurs. It doesn't ever develop that into anything that seems plot related or workable. You just have a lot of the dude from New Girl saying, like, sad things, like, that the screenwriters said to themselves in their darkest moments while writing this script, and somehow <laughs> they made it into the edit of of the movie. And it's, like, it's very strange. It, it, and it's off-putting. It's, like, the movie could not have those things in it, and it could be shorter, and also... <laughs> spend less time telling you that it was a bad movie if you're a movie yeah and you're going to go out there and tell people that you're a bad movie it better be a great movie like it has to be great it has to be really good (laughs) for you to pull that off or it has to be so bad like deadpool that it works also 
you know, that like, that's the thing, but this movie is so like mm. middle of the road. So blah that like, when it looks at you and says, Hey, this is a bad movie. You just believe it. You're just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, the ending of this movie is literally the end of Jurassic Park killing the end of Jurassic World, the movies. <laughs> With the dino fight together, just metaphorically representing that. Yeah. 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 If the theme is that, you know, life finds a way, you know, kind of nature wins in the end, and it took supremely competent people to build this theme park together, where are they in the movie? Because you're just showing me all the clowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been interesting just for the movie. You know, I know that you want to ham fist it and try to get tell me the theme directly. Like, hey, when you get too greedy with nature, it'll backfire. But what about playing it more straight? It's like doing everything you can and it still backfires. You know, thematically, I feel like that would have been stronger. Just at least more intellectually interesting rather than yeah. just the popcorn fair that it ended up kind of being. Well, and also, this movie doesn't have a reason that the part goes wrong. I mean, it does. It does that they made a new dinosaur. That's the sin of man in this movie. That has already happened by the time the movie starts. It is not plot-propelling information. When the dinosaur gets loose, it just kind of, like, happens. It doesn't happen because somebody shut down a system that was in place to protect it. It wasn't because... Some people came there to try and steal the dinosaur. It just like kind of happened because they were dumb about the dinosaur. Like it's not a very compelling way for the dinosaur to escape. And it doesn't seem thematically tied to anything except us thinking that Bryce Dallas Howard is an idiot. And that doesn't seem very fair. It it does tell you retroactively all these things about the DNA that was in the dinosaur and all this stuff. And they're trying to keep that a secret, but that makes it so that when you first see it, it is really just straight ineptitude. They kind of borrow some from the early Jurassic part, like, hey, here's the schluppy security guard eating a sandwich who doesn't know how to do his job. And he just sort of walks in with a flashlight into a dinosaur cage that they're not 100% certain is free of dinosaurs. And that's basically how it gets out. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was a, probably a good example of just, just straight up ineptitude that would have been interesting. Just have it be just more of a, maybe a thematically driven or some sort of like hubris of scientists that, that made it not just like normal dunce activity. Cause it's like, if you'd taken any safety protocols whatsoever, then that wouldn't have happened. Even <laughs> if you did build such like a crazy dinosaur. I feel like the movie feels very hateful. Like, in all of its approach to women, as we've already said. Also, like, her assistant, who's the babysitter, who, like, doesn't want to babysit. She just wants to text. She just wants to be on her phone all the time. wrecked at the end. It was like half her screen time was her just getting demolished by (laughs) dinosaurs. Like, this poor woman, what did she do? It's the only thing that's, like, sold as a cool dinosaur kill in the movie. And the, like, the very end. But everything else is shot in a very different style. Yeah. This one was the gratuitous just follow it through the whole. If you did it, if you did it more, that would work like an ultra violent, like scary Jurassic Park. I think that would be cool. But I don't think it right. works when it's just one person. Like you said, wait, it does feel like mean. Yeah. And even with the security guard, who's like the only big guy you see in the movie. So he has to be like eating a sandwich while he has his one line. And then he like can't run as fast as everyone else. And that's why he gets killed. Like all of that stuff. It's like basically a trombone might as well play when he looks over and goes, (laughs) you know, it just gets eaten by the dino. 
Yeah. Yeah, and with the action stuff, I feel like they're kind of trying, he's kind of trying to do like the hide the shark thing, the Spielberg principle, uh-huh. but I think that he carries it out to a level of making the action difficult to follow and unclear for a lot of the scenes mm-hmm. where like you are so little seeing the dinosaur that you can't even really tell what's happening. Yeah, people just getting hurled around different directions. Whatnot. I mean, you know, I, I thought some of that stuff, you know, worked kind of well enough. Mm. Did you have anything else to say about this, Emmett, or should we? Should I dive into some of the history of this here? I go go ahead. I'll think of more insults for it as you go along. We have a lot of behind the scenes drama to how this got here. Okay, but basically, this movie was eventually released June twelfth, twenty fifteen. Basically, going back to the release of Jurassic Park three in two thousand one, there were like ten years of development hell where Universal would always be like announcing a new writer or a new director or a new release date for Jurassic Park 4, and it just never came to fruition. I remember seeing dinosaur lists online for what was going to be in Jurassic 4, like two years after Jurassic Park 3, being like, oh my god, it's coming out (laughs) soon. I can't wait. Yeah, I remember reading a lot about it. In particular, this one draft, the one that was most notable during this period, was from 2004 by John Sayles. And it was going to be a movie about how the U.S. military seized control of the dinosaurs and had them, like, armored with, like, guns and stuff and was sending them to go take down drug dealers. They took, like, 10% of that. 5-10%. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, even that plot of this movie is, like, a meta thing about the past version of Jurassic Park 4. Wow. And during those 10 years, I want to say, Michael Crichton, Richard Attenborough, and Stan Winston, who's the guy who made all of the, like, physical animatronics in the past movies, all passed away. Uh, So in 2012 is when, like, the movie as we know it really gets started. Spielberg hires this husband-wife writing team, Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, who wrote all the new Planet of the Apes movies. And he hires them to write a script and he gives them three requirements, which is that there needs to be a functional park. There needs to be a man who is bonded with the raptors in some way. And there has to be like a dinosaur on the loose that they have to stop. Those are like the puzzle pieces they have to make the movie around. Okay. They write the draft and they're looking for the uh, Spanish horror director J.A. Bayona to direct the movie, who is the guy who ends up directing Fallen Kingdom. Oh, the next one yeah he did the impossible which i i really liked yeah and he did uh the orphanage which is another good little horror movie too. Mm-hmm. i think i saw that one as well so before this movie colin trevorrow who's the guy who ends up directing it had only done one film before which was this little film called safety not guaranteed it was written by Derek connelly who becomes his writing partner for a while have either of you seen safety not guaranteed I saw it in theaters. Uh, I remember thinking it was extraordinarily okay. (laughs) Honestly, when I saw the announcement that he was the one directing Jurassic World, I remember this distinctly. I was like, you know, how? Because this was like at a time when, you know, Disney has since perfected basically treating movies as uh, similar to television where the showrunners, the producers are in more of creative control and the directors Mm -hmm. are kind of more able to be um, cycled in and out while they maintain the broader vision. And so they were attempting to do that. They just find these like indie directors who have barely directed one or two movies and they throw them in with these $200 million budgets and go, 
let's go, you know, make it work. Uh, and Jurassic World was one of the, you know, earlier ones that did that before that format was kind of more <laughs> solidified like it is now. Yeah. And there was like a huge controversy at the time. I mean, a huge internet controversy of just people saying like a woman director would never do one little movie and then get the keys to the kingdom like this. You know, I think they eventually they do something like that with some of the other franchises. But, you know, sometimes you have like the success stories that I guess tempt people to try to find like these diamonds in the rough. Like uh, this, the director of all the new Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, he directed Kevin Bacon Cop Car. Mm -hmm. And then he went off and did those. And I think those are phenomenally well directed, especially for someone who has, uh, you know, the experience that he has. So I think everyone is trying to find that and it doesn't always work. Colin Trevorrow being an example. If Colin, if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> I like Cop Car too. That's another fun little movie. Like I'm not about to apologize for anything we say on here because I think this movie blows, and I think that it is at least partially the director's fault. I think I'd lay a lot of blame on the screenwriter there too. So, well, <laughs> it, that becomes them too. I mean, what happens here is that it it starts in 2013 with. Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, who have produced all these movies. They're a married producing team. Kathleen Kennedy is Uh the head of Lucasfilm, who came on board after George Lucas left in 2012. So around this time, she's starting to work on episode seven. The favorite to direct it is Brad Bird, the guy who did The Incredibles. What a movie that would have been. He's sort of in the lead, and he's filming Tomorrowland. So he's like, I can't do this pre-production stuff, but there's this young guy I really like, Colin Trevorrow. Can he come and do some of the Star Wars work for me while I'm filming Tomorrowland? Uh-huh. And they're like, okay. So they watch his movie, and they love it. And then they show it to Spielberg, and he loves it. Safety not guaranteed. And then they call Trevorrow in, and they're basically like, hey, actually, we think you would be good for Jurassic Park. Do you want to do that? Basically, just like call him in without him even having a pitch. And he's like, okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? What do you say if somebody well, asked yeah, you to do course, Jurassic Park? Yeah. Come on. Okay. So he brings on Connolly with him, who wrote that first movie. They rewrite it from scratch. Uh, which I think delays it a year because they were like, we want to do our version. I guess the original Jeff, a silver version was pretty similar, but had like all of the Raptor stuff as the first half of the movie. And then what became the Indominus Rex, like coming in the second half of the movie, it was more sort of sectioned. That might've helped because I think this movie suffers from not really like it starts and then it ends. And I don't really know if you can divide this movie into acts in the usual way that you can divide movies into about three most of the time. Well, speaking of start and end, it's also the only one doesn't start with an isolated incident and doesn't end with like the helicopter shot of them flying above the island. It ends with Rice was like talking to Chris Pratt and she's like, what do we do now? And I was like, prepare for the epic lawsuit that it's on its way. You guys will need to testify, <laughs> like go take a shower, get dressed because you have some splaining to do. <laughs> Buy yourself a nice yeah. suit and some comfy shoes because yeah. you're about to spend a lot of time. In it's court. going down. <laughs> Most of the higher ups, they died. You're the only one there. <laughs> you know, someone has Dead. to pay. And I think in Fallen Kingdom, it's clear that uh, neither of them did. <laughs> they make the movie. They shoot it in Louisiana at Six Flags New Orleans, which apparently has been abandoned since Katrina. And they they shot it all there, which was really cool. 
I didn't know that. That's it's so cool. Actually, if you guys haven't seen like walkthroughs of that, it's really neat to watch. It's pretty, you know, oh, wow. surreal and dark. And I don't know if you're in the whole like uh, urban exploration, something like that. But yeah, yeah, the it is pretty surreal to to look at all the like the happy cartoon characters with like mold crawling up their face and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, pretty neat. They also shoot it in the same uh, aspect ratio as the original three. Okay, yeah. So it comes out, and then there's there's the pushback against the sexism in the movie, her wearing the heels, and then there's also this pushback that the movie is a ripoff of the 1999 film Deep Blue Sea, which I was not reading of, but I read a lot of uh, people talking about that. Did not heard of that one. No. Uh, so after this is released. We're going to go into the future a little bit, but because of this, Trevorrow gets the job directing Star Wars Episode Nine, like immediately after the success of this. And this did make, let's see, on a budget of $215 million, it made $1.6 billion at the box office. Mm-hmm. The second highest grossing film in 2015, the seventh highest grossing film of all time, unadjusted for inflation. Pretty wild to think. Yeah, pretty big success. You know, you throw it out international territories and it delivers on all that you need. Action, dinos, decent, uh, you know, good production design and explosions, basically. Yeah, I remember the weekend this came out, a checkout lady at the grocery store being like, have you seen Jurassic World? Like people were all about it in a way. Not a lot of these films are, I feel like. Yeah, so he gets hired to do episode nine to write it with Connolly. Uh, which is why he doesn't direct the next one. They just write it, Fallen Kingdom. But he releases in 2017 another indie movie, which is called The Book of Henry, which is truly insane. I don't know if either of you have ever seen this one. Heard of The Book of Eli, Book of Henry. Mm. Oh, wait, no, that one was like a huge stinker, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't Didn't they kick him off of a movie because of how poorly it did? They kick him off of Star Wars, basically, yeah. <laughs> because it like goes so bad. They kick him off of Star Wars. Then there's this like expose that says that he's like really hard to work with or whatever. Who knows if it's cover, but that's what they say. That's wild about how much money it made, for one thing. Mm-hmm. He gets kicked off of Force Awakens for how badly Book of Henry did. What is Book of Henry? How could it be? Book of Henry is this absolutely insane movie. It's honestly like kind of worth watching just for how wild it is. It's like, it has the tone of like a treacly Oscar drama. It's about this like kid genius who's like, you know, he's like running the stock market and he's like the smartest kid in the world and he's beloved by his family. And then like 30 minutes in, he unexpectedly gets cancer and dies like immediately um and (laughs) and like he has this weird flirtation with sarah silverman Uh and he's like 10 and she's 40 she comes to say goodbye to him in the hospital and kisses him on the mouth which is just like this truly insane moment whoa that again is just treated as like totally normal in this movie and his like dying wish is that his mom will kill their neighbor who he thinks is creepy so then the next hour of the movie is like a thriller about Naomi Watts' mom being like, my 10-year-old kid told me to murder someone. Should I do it? Wow. What? <laughs> that is bonkers. Yeah. It's wild. Have you seen it's it? It's wild. I have seen it. Holy I have hell. Seen it. It's terrible. 
<laughs> wow. You know, I didn't know anything about it. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> I will say just like in his defense, it wasn't written by him and Connolly. It was some other random writer, but he right. did direct it and chose to direct it, having read the script. So. And they directed it the way that he did. <laughs> and yeah. then they took him off of Star Wars and put old JJ on there. Huh? Yeah, they took him off of nine. Yep. Uh, and then after all of that, him and Connolly kind of break up their writing partnership and he gets this new writing partner, Emily Carmichael, who he's written the new one with that's coming out this year. And I think a couple, they've done a couple short films too that we'll cover at some point. He's still on, on Dominion? He's back? He's, yeah, yeah. he came <sighs> back to write and direct Dominion after this. <laughs> I know. I was like pretty hopeful, uh, for some reason <laughs> for this new thing. <laughs> and then I looked at the team. This movie I predicted now is going to be a self annihilating film that like lauds Jurassic world as the greatest movie to have ever graced existence. <laughs> and he will <laughs> retroactively by insulting his current film, bring his previous film to a higher level. I hope that I can leave that saying like, oh, the returning cast were the best part about it. Like mm. they did their thing and it's, it's great. But if it sinks into like a black hole of its former self where it just sort of cheapens everything that came before it, that's worst case scenario. So, you know, fingers crossed that that's not what's going to take place. Well, the other thing about like the meta commentary in this is that it does hate itself, like we were saying, but it also hates the audience for wanting it. Like, so uh-huh. much of it is about how, like, people need it bigger and badder and we can't appreciate things like we used to. And then it also, like, hates the corporations who are funding it and making it. So it's just, like, pointing the finger at everyone, including itself. There were points when I was like, okay, what's product placement and what's not? You know, because, like, you know, imagine, like, hey, Samsung, do you want to be part of the Samsung Innovation Center that is responsible for dinosaurs just destroying humanity? And Samsung's like, sign us up. You know, Mercedes is, is obviously one of the biggest featured brands yeah. in there. And they look good in this at the end of the movie because they're just doing their thing. But... So there's other things like the, I think they said like Indominus Rex, like presented by Verizon. It's like, did Verizon mm-hmm. sign up for that? I think you guys just said that and <laughs> they're just having to take it like, OK, I guess we're the big, you know, corporate bad guys here. Well, the brands make sense. Like it makes sense that there would be whatever a Starbucks or like a Margaritaville in the town square, you know. But then he shoots every car in the movie like it's a Mercedes-Benz commercial. I like, know. Every yeah. car slowly zooms in on the logo, which you don't have to do right. if you're making that point. So Yeah, that one, I mean, Mercedes had to have been provided the thing. That's kind of what I was hinting at. Because there's sometimes you can just put the brand in there as long as it's doing what it, it's supposed to be doing. Like Starbucks is just existing there as a coffee shop. Perhaps they can do that. But yeah, in this case, like, I'm not really sure where that line was. I'd be interested mm-hmm. to ask the production, like, hey, who greenlit their brands being here and who did you just use? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, you're right, though, about the Mercedes thing. Like, every car in there is like, that is a Mercedes. Like, we're going to roll up in the finest of Amazon vans to confront these dinosaurs. <laughs> The van chase is actually, I think, maybe the action highlight for me of the movie. Mm. When the kids are in the back of it, that mm. stuff is pretty fun. Yeah. 
Yo, the van chasing Kimmy though. The van chasing Kimmy though. Come on. Um, that yeah. that's quality. Yeah, that is really good. Okay, MVP, our favorite character from this movie. I'm going to take off the board Owen and Claire. Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Sorry to dash everyone's plans of picking them as their favorite <laughs> for this movie. <laughs> but other than them, MVP, Jason, we'll start with you. You know what? Uh, I'll go with uh, Masrani. <laughs> he's uh, I like him. In a, you know, he's just the quirky, like kind of hippie eighth richest person in the world who's trying to learn how to fly a helicopter he's all about the vibes and not about the bottom line you know and uh he wants like a big bag big bad dinosaur but for some reason doesn't really understand what that entails and then he's like wait no i kind of feel bad about this anyway he was entertaining throughout it so I'll, i'll give it to him it would have been only other two that come to mind would have been like BD Wong, just because arbitrarily, at least he was a consistent character and unapologetically doing what he was doing. Unlike you know Vincent D'Onofrio's character, he was just kind of like all over the the place. I just wasn't quite sure what his angle was. I knew what BD yeah. Wong's angle was, uh, or the older brother who's like a complete you know a hole, and then mm. uh, then he almost dies, and then he's not. So that's like an actual character arc, <laughs> I guess. So yeah. that's that's yeah. good. Anyway, but uh, in the end, I'll, I'll go with Masrani just because it was entertaining to me. Dude went up in an explosion, too. I wish he was in this movie longer. I think it's cool how he dies, yeah. but I wish it had happened later in the movie. Because I agree, he's a cool character. And I think him reacting to stuff in the control room for longer might have been mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, it would have been nice to get more of like his side of why the park was built. I mean, because he was responsible for it and then they kill him before we fully explore just what his uh, thoughts were on the whole thing. Emmett, who's your MVP? Let me just say that no one in this movie thrills me with their performance. Like there's no there's no one in this movie who I'm like, wow. It's not one of those ones where it's an embarrassment of riches and it's hard to say. It's one of those ones where it's hard to pick somebody who moves you at all. So you're saying it's the security guard. I say it, yeah, the security guard, he stands a strong chance. That funny lady who's in the control room with the guy from New uh-huh. I saw her in this terrible movie, I think with the guy who plays Joe Dirt. Wait, the wrong Missy? Yes. You saw the wrong Missy? I watched like a good amount of that movie, by which I mean a bad amount of that movie. That is the worst movie I've ever seen. But that being said, she's funny in this and looks virtually the same now in that movie in 2021 as she did then so good for her i I guess i'll give it to her she's more bearable than the dude with the mustache who just hates himself the movie he's like you're really gonna put me in a jurassic park movie and i don't even get to get eaten by a dinosaur okay i really like jake johnson in this (laughs) i think that he's one of the bright spots of the movie Just because he's one of the only ones who's actually funny. Like, at least to me, all of his jokes land. When it cuts to him and he's like, I really consider Carl more of a father than my real father. Like, that's one of the only jokes in this movie. He is like um, fast talking, like control guys. Like, is he like so good at his job that he can talk back to every person in authority? 
Okay, what I wanted to say about Lauren Lapkus, Emmett, is that she's really funny on podcasts. I've listened to a few of her podcasts, and she's, like, so charming and hilarious. And every movie other than this I've seen her in, she's, like, absolutely horrible and so unfunny. So I feel like people are not using her correctly. But I think that, like, as an actual person, she's very funny. That movie, The Wrong Missy, is abysmally bad. It is, I mean, to say that it is offensive is obviously, like, a, a cold take. But it is so bad. I was fascinated by it. Okay, my MVP, I think there is a performance in this movie that wows me, which is the little, the littlest brother, Ty Simpkins, as the little brother. I love the scene of them on the the bus in the middle where he is asking them about the divorce. Yeah. I Googled it. They're divorce lawyers. Like, he's so funny. And and the brother's like, okay, well, you know, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was one of my favorite scenes between them. It was pretty funny. I think he carries, like, a decent amount of the emotional stuff, and he's really funny and and also good at the running and screaming, which a lot of the movie requires. Yeah. The one thing I don't like about what he's doing is his amateur hour photography skills. He's just like, click, 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 <laughs> not even paying any remote attention, which I guess is fair. Children could do that. But, you know, he's also a nerd and really into the, uh, you know, dinosaur stuff. So it'd be nice if he, like, actually put any effort into it. <laughs> That's just nitpicky, you know. It's a child with a camera, Jason. Get over yourself. But they also <laughs> probably had no idea where the dinosaurs would have been because they weren't there. And they're adding sound effects, too. Who knows how much he actually pressed the camera button. Yeah. He just holds <laughs> it up, and then the Foley artists go... All of these movies kind of have, like, dinosaur nerd kids who then become traumatized because of their love of dinosaurs by seeing the real thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this guy, this kid saw the body count just go up and in a, <laughs> you know, a very, you know, uh, gory sort of way. Mm-hmm. He takes it phenomenally well. Yeah, because on the bright side, it really puts his parents' divorce in perspective. That's what the movie right. is really about. Right. It's yeah. about family. Because it takes the uh, Steven Spielberg approach that everything is about some sort of family story. But it doesn't manage to pull it off. It keeps the kids and the adults apart for the first like hour of the movie in a way that I feel like mm-hmm. they don't seem invested in each other. It's like if the kids and the adults had been had been thrown together earlier in the film. I don't know. I feel like this movie spends a lot of time cutting back and forth between the two of them when it could have done more for the plot and for our caring about both of them both like both sets of characters from all four been together and like kind of running from it hmm. and then maybe they get separated in the middle instead of starting separated and eventually coming together for like the last 30 40 minutes or whatever we don't feel invested enough in the relationship between her and the kids it seems mostly adversarial mm. and there's no relationship between the kids and Owen until they see him at the end. And they arbitrarily just like, are like cool guy, but like they don't really have any reason for thinking that if we had seen them earlier in the movie, all four together, like we're having to escape from some stuff and him like saving all four of them. Then like, they'd have a reason to think that like earlier on. Right. I don't know. The brothers have the only time together for any sort of emotional stakes to play out. And at the beginning, when they're bummed about, you know, their Aunt Claire not uh, joining them, it's like, 
have they even spent enough time with her to even appreciate her relationship to really care that she's going with them? Because here is this kid who likes dinosaurs is at this epic park with VIP tickets. Isn't that like all that he needs? Like, why yeah. does he like Aunt Claire yeah. so much? Isn't they just like the idea of her because she hadn't seen him in seven years? Which I don't know how that means that she could have seen the younger kid, but maybe they could have seen each other separately. I'll forgive that. I don't really care. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Yeah. People come back together at a point where, of course, everyone's going to forgive each other. A huge disaster just took place. But when it's ongoing, you only have time between the two brothers. Yeah. And Chris Pratt doesn't seem to have any perspective on anyone else. Like the kids are so adoring of him, but he isn't like bemused by that or he doesn't have the Alan Grant thing of like not liking kids and learning to. He Mm -hmm. just is like a blank slate. Yeah. for all of that stuff yeah yeah he neither welcomes nor denies it yeah he, he gives mm. a little bit of a nod and it's like presumably because they're with claire he'll talk with them and he'll just kind of he he cared ostensibly about going out of the way to try to help those kids and help claire at all rather than just continuing to go try to solve the problem of the park falling apart so there's stuff that you could just decide to infer about it but some it didn't really play out on screen as directly as it could have okay final thoughts final thoughts here on jurassic world before we uh move on to our little quiz game at the end jason any final thoughts you know it looked good enough to uh (laughs) to ignore some of this other stuff and turn off your brain but even as a turn off your brain movie I don't super love it. So, you know, six out of 10 for me. Mm. Liked it more than you guys, certainly, but it's not a banger. It's mm. it's a it's a bop, but not a banger. <laughs> <laughs> it's hardly a bop, but I had to give it a bop because I don't think it's a flop. That's fair enough. Emmett, final thoughts? Y'all know I'm a fan of rewatching movies. And I owned this movie for probably seven years. I have never rewatched this movie until this very time that is all that needs to be said about that i have rewatched jurassic park and obviously <laughs> jurassic park three many times since <laughs> so what does that tell you 10 you out know? of 10 10 out of 10 <laughs> i think someday perhaps this movie will be studied for its like critique of itself I think it would be interesting to look at this movie and Fury Road and Star Wars 7 and like Blade Runner 2049 and a bunch of these other legacy sequels like Scream 4 and look at those all kind of as a group together and see what's going on with them because we've liked some of them, we've hated some of them. I don't know that there's necessarily a rule that's been what's good between all of them. Wade, what are your final thoughts? Okay, I want to give a shout out to the Lego Jurassic World game. What? Which I played the summer this came out on Vita. I think I think you can probably get it now on like Switch and PS4 for like 10 bucks. But it's got all four of the movies up through this one. And you can play through all of them in Lego form. I remember it being very good. Okay, wait. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, that makes the whole movie worth it. <laughs> So shout out to that. <laughs> Emmett's looking it up right Emmett, now. Emmett just grabbed his switch. Emmett's purchasing it right now. <laughs> Emmett is signing off from the podcast. 
I also want to say, I think the best scene in the movie to me, which we haven't talked about, is the, the when they find the dead Brachiosaur. Oh. I think the moment is like actually very moving and affecting, and it like reveals all the others because that's sort of the first dinosaur we see in any of these movies, and you like imprint on it as majestic and never scary, and then like that kind of silent, really sad scene. I think it's really well done. It was closest emotionally to the original Jurassic Park that, that when you're when you're watching it, yeah. So look, I think plenty of things I like and certainly fascinating to think and talk about this movie, but I just found not very interesting to rewatch. I have a question for you guys. You guys both watched it alone, right? Yeah. I watched it with uh, Laura. Okay. Because I think, you know, the more the merrier with this movie. I watched yeah, it with that's you know, true. two other dudes, and that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. If I watched this by myself, I would have had a different tone here. But Oh, true. There's prob- this is probably more of a crowd movie, for sure. Now it is time for Bums the Word, our quiz game. I have here ten movies that I'm going to give hints about. Whoever guesses the movie first gets the point. Whoever has the most points wins. There is a theme that links all ten of these movies and links them to Jurassic World. So whoever guesses the theme will also get an additional point, and you can just oh. shout that out at any time. Okay. Uh, let's do it. Film number one is a 2005 sci-fi film. This is a big blockbuster movie. It's an adaptation of an old, old-school classic novel, and it's got a, a big leading man, as the star, sort of the biggest action star at the time. 2005. Wow, mm-hmm. kicking it oh, way man. back. This is another movie, exactly like the original Jurassic Park, that is directed by Steven Spielberg and written by David Kapp. It's them reuniting for another movie. Oh, was it War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise? Damn. It is. It is War of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well done. Rewatched that like a couple of years ago or something. It's, uh, Did it's it a movie. Hold up? Did it hold up? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's watchable. It's not painful to watch. I always remember that basement scene. Oh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was about to say. <laughs> that's what I remember most. What do you remember about it? Oh, I just remember being traumatized by that scene <laughs> as a kid when he grabs the axe. I yeah. mean, that is absolutely the thing that stuck with me about that movie. Yeah. Film number two, you thought 2005 was throwing it back. Film number two is a 1973 sci-fi film. This film is written and directed by a novelist, a guy who's more famous for his books than his film work, although he's done a lot of film work. This film goes on to span a sequel and two TV series, which is what it's more well-known for than this first movie. Mm. Is it uh, Battlestar Galactica? No. Is it Babylon 5? <laughs> Mm-mm. You said sci-fi though, right? We're still in sci-fi. 73? It is sci-fi, but it also has a big Western influence. Wait, is it... Oh, God, <laughs> what's that guy's name? Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> no. Although that has wild, been wild an West. answer recently. <laughs> Stargate. The tagline for this movie on the poster is, Boy, have we got a vacation for you. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, man. 
I don't know, Emmett. <laughs> oh, what's his friggin' name? You know, the the famous guy he was in a movie, and he is who Luke Skywalker is based on, and it's not Paul Atreides. Biff Spaceman. Flash Gordon. <laughs> yes, Flash Gordon. Is was it Flash Gordon? <laughs> Spaceman. <laughs> It's not Flash. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry to say. Okay, uh, that's one. That one's too old. That one's beyond seventy-three. Planet of the Apes. Most recently, this movie was adapted in twenty sixteen into an HBO TV show. And that is what it is most famous for by far. Uh, I think the TV show is still going, although it's not. They take their time between seasons. And you said, "What did you say when you said it was sci-fi?" But but Western. Western, okay. Oh, was it Westworld? Yes. Yes, Westworld is actually, it kind of holds up, the original movie. Ooh. There's some, there's some stuff there where you're like, oh, man, they're doing some ahead of their time. Mm. It's dated, though. Written and directed by Michael Crichton, who uh, uh, wrote the Jurassic Park really? novel, of yeah. course. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I think maybe I did know that when that was uh, starting up, when I saw it in the, in the credits, but that didn't stick with me. Film number three is a 2020 sequel. It's a musical and it is animated. It is, uh, it was one of our favorite films of the year here at Cinema Pumps. <laughs> oh, see, it's uh, Trolls, Trolls 2 World Tour. <laughs> yes, it is Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Excellent work. Okay, this is thematically related to War of the Worlds and Westworld. And Jurassic World. They all have something in common. They're worlds. They have <laughs> world in the title. That is correct. That is correct on both <laughs> counts. We're doing 10 movies that have world in the title. Yeah, all right. I'll give both of you a point. Okay. Uh, Waterworld? Nope. Not on this list. Damn, what? There were so many. I had a That's list funny. of like 20 and then I had to stop. <laughs> Okay, well, now you have a clue for all the rest of these movies. So. Okay, that's good. Film number four is a 2010. This is saying rom-com. I would say that's a little misleading, although not exactly. 2010 movie, kind of a cult classic. It's adapted from a graphic novel. Uh, it's by like a, a wacky, beloved British director. <laughs> You've, is World of Tomorrow going to be in this list? Uh, no, that was on the short list, but that did not make the time. Let's yeah, we we discussed that one. <laughs> a wacky what? A wacky rom-com? It says that it's a rom-com. I'm not sure what I would even say it is, but that's like a little misleading. But it's from a wacky British director. It's based on a graphic novel. This is like a cult classic movie. This is one of those movies that made no money at the time, but like people have talked about it all the time since. I really like it. I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast, but it's kind of a good music movie and a good video game movie, despite not being based on either of those. Is it live action? It's live action. It's very stylized in its visuals. It's set in Canada. Oh, is it Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Oh, yes. No, I, I should have gotten that one. I love that movie. Me too. Film number five, 2013 action movie with a horror movie influence. This is based on a very popular novel from 2006. Uh, it's got a big action leading man. I haven't seen this movie, so I don't know a ton of it, but it's okay. sort of, uh, it's sort of world war Z. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> is that 2006? The, the book. book. The book, oh, the book is 2006. Okay. Gotcha. Anyone seen that one? I haven't. Yeah, I did. I saw it for the first time not that long ago, actually. Was it good? I, I was preparing for much worse than it actually was. I thought it was good enough. Like, I'd, I'd watch a sequel of it or something like that. I don't know. Cool. Film number six. This one is, in fact, a rom-com. It is a 2022 movie. Just came out recently. It's a yeah. Norwegian movie. Worst person in the world. That is correct, Emmett. The worst person in the world. Okay, we have four more, and right now, the score is tied with four each. Oh, whoa. Number seven is a 1992 comedy. Sort of a classic comedy. I think of it as like a stoner comedy, I would say. Wayne's World? Yes. Was it Wayne's World? Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You jumped on that quick. It is Wayne's World. Should have done Wayne's World too, just to mess with us. <laughs> that would be fun. Film number eight is a 2007 adventure film, I guess. This is what Emmett would call a threequel. It's the third movie in a, a series that keeps on going even long after this one, but it's sort of wrapping up a trilogy. Oh. Spy Kids Spy World? <laughs> no, but there was a Spy Kids movie that had World in the title that I didn't use. Really? So. Which one was it? I think it was four or five. There's five oh, of them? We need to do Spy Kids at some point. <laughs> you just signed up for that, man. <laughs> that would be painful. I mean, you know, talk about flops. Uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. No, but these movies are, they're kind of family movies in that way. They're maybe like a little more teen leaning, but this is like big franchise for the whole family. Is it Alvin and Chipmunks or the Smurfs? No, it's a little bit aged up from that. I mean, uh, it's got some action in it. It's a bunch of adult actors. Can you say who, is, who uh, directed it? I cannot say that without immediately. Wait, how many oh, more no, movies okay. are there? How many more movies are there in this series? There are five movies in this series. The first three were all done by the same guy, and this is wrapping up that trilogy. And this one came out in two thousand seven. Yes. It's not Shrek. Uh, it's not Shrek. This is a very long movie, if that helps. It's another stuff to the brims. I think this is almost three hours long. Jeez. They're kind of going for that Return of the King vibe with this movie of like throwing everything in and tying it all up. <laughs> it's kind of the main actor is like an older character actor. And then it's like a bunch of young hotties with him, like teen heartthrobs of the time of the early 2000s. And the lead actor has since been canceled, although he appears in all of these movies. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't. It's set in a historical time period. Is it an American Pie movie or what? No. No? What are we? Okay. Family. Family movie? It's, I mean, don't get too tripped up on family, but these yeah. are movies released by Disney and they're live action movies. Oh, is it Pirates of the Caribbean? Okay. Oh, wait. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. The end, world's end of the end. World, or, yeah, end of the world. World's end. That's, yeah, you got that. It is not world's end. There's something else. At world's end. Pirates of the Caribbean. At world's end. Damn you. I said the full title. He just said at world's end. He cheated. He never said. Right. He never give said. Give it to Jason. Give it to Jason. All right. All right. <laughs> Whatever. I'll give it to both of you. I don't need to take it, but uh, for the record. <laughs> I'll give it to both of you. Okay, it's only fair. Uh, Johnny Depp got uncanceled, man. Once Amber Heard got canceled, so now they're in the both. They're a hyper position of being canceled right now, both of them. 
Okay, li- listen to this. There's a giant there's a giant billboard in eastern North Carolina that just says hashtag men to hashtag justice for Johnny Depp. And that's all it says. Yeah. Oh my god. And I'm always like, <laughs> oh what does it god. mean? What does it mean? Every time I drive past it, I'm just like, what could the people of Eastern North that Carolina possibly have to say about Johnny Depp? <laughs> Someone has a lot of time and uh, disposable income on their hands. Yeah, insane. That is truly insane. Right. Okay, film number nine. We just got two more to go. Film number nine is a 1999 uh, action film in a long-running franchise. One of the classic long, long, long long-running franchises. Also based on a book. This is a British movie. A long-running franchise based on a book. Think long-running British franchises. No, no, I'm in, I'm in on that. What's the name? What's the year on this? 1999. The world is not enough. Yes, pow, pow, pow. James Bond, baby. <laughs> Wait, what was it? Thank you, Evan. The world is not enough. <laughs> oh my bow, bow, bow. Do I have to say it like that? James <laughs> Bond. Boop, boop. That is correct. The 19th James Bond film, the third with Pierce Brosnan. The world is not enough. Dude, I'm uncultured, apparently. Not, I haven't even heard that until this very moment. <laughs> I don't know if I would have known that. If it helps Good you, I've job, never man. seen it. I've never seen it in my life. I just love the names of James Bond movies. They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> they make them so difficult to find, though, because they're like not even called James Bond usually. It's like you just have to know uh, that's true. what yeah. the subtitle of the movie is. Yeah. Uh, okay, final film, film number 10, is a 2004 adventure comedy. This is a kid's movie. It is another one based on a classic novel. Based on an 1873 novel. Whoa. I think that there have been many movies made of this, but this is the most recent one. It's got a classic Asian action star and a kind of modern British comedy guy as an unlikely duo who are setting out to do something together. In what year? Uh, The movie came out in 2004. British comedy person and Asian movie star? Yeah. A classic Asian action star. So it's... Not Rush Hour or Shanghai Noon. Okay, I'll say uh, it's not Rush Hour, but you're right about Jackie Chan. It's Jackie Chan and a British comedian in a kid's movie trying to do something, and that's the title. The title is What They Are Trying to Accomplish. Oh, Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, no! Oh, (laughs) dude, that movie is incredible. That is correct. It's such a wild movie. Steve Coogan and the infamous line, you had me at the nipples. <laughs> wow. Dude, there's like a, there's a ship captain who had his nipples bitten off by a shark or something like that, if memory serves. Oh my and I think God. they were talking about him with like getting his nipples back or something like that. And so he says, you had me at the nipples. Wow. Which I'm sure was repeated over and over and over again in many a middle school classroom. By uh, <laughs> laughing, and it like resonated with us. Person, when was that? You said 2004. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We would have been like, "That's hilarious." I have that on DVD at my mom's house. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah! Okay, well, congratulations, Emmett, on winning the quiz. Again, well played by both. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, Jason. This was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug or anywhere that people can find you online? <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, I have a <laughs> Command V, one word, channel on YouTube with a couple of the boys here that I watched Jurassic World with. Uh, cool. We don't have many videos up, but we made some um, stuff for Team C's, which is like a Mr. Beast thing for anyone who's into YouTube. So, you know, you can head over there and watch that if you want. If not, no worries, man. That's all good. You do you. I'm just some rando <laughs> named Jason that uh, talked at you today. He made a cool video game about cleaning up the ocean. That was dope. Whoa. Yeah. That's a cool, cool video. Well, thank you again for being here, Jason. Yeah. We're going to be back in 18 weeks talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. And next week, talking about the last movie in Jurassic March, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Are you tingling with anticipation, Emmett? I can barely. I'm going to have to watch this one <laughs> to, to prepare for the new movie because I'll probably see that. I remember liking it when it came out. I haven't rewatched it since. I know everyone else hates it, so it's it could very well be horrible. But it at least, I'm pretty sure, is not as talky as this one. It can't be as bad as this movie. Action and running and screaming most of the time. I rated it worse despite liking Bayona's work. So I'll have to watch it again and then see what I think moving into the new movie. So thank you guys for giving me a head start on preparing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll be back for that. Very excited to see if things can indeed get worse or if they might get better. Movie making uh, finds a way. Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 